o'clock by the mighty Shenango. Uh, it was a colder evening than most. A little unexpectedly so for, for this time of year. Everybody agreed that the weather was particularly bad this year. But the lion had that vague feeling that felt that they agreed on that every year. However, he supposed that was consistent with the possibility that it, things, the weather was simply getting weirder and weirder every year. So perhaps. with his mane. His mane would keep him warm on days like this. Uh, ironically, he guessed. Because uh, certainly wasn't any evolutionary reason that he needed to be kept warm. melting off the mountain. And if you were very quiet, you could hear it. Cars rushed by occasionally. Occasionally. and he even saw another pedestrian. They avoided eye contact.
looked at his wrist. He'd forgotten his watch. He wasn't even sure what time it was. How late it had been. How long he was out here. How long it would be before it warmed up just a little bit. going to go in, get a drink, call off the evening. He'd made a decision, but he was still standing here on the street corner, getting later and later. The last time he saw another person or another car had been who knows how long. Grim resolution, but not enough to spur him into action. He shoved his paws deeper into his pockets, hunched his shoulders.
Okay, so first I have some, first I have some, first I have some uh, banter that was kind of like right before the songs. It was kind of like right before the songs. It was kind of like right before the songs. Thank you for listening to episode three of The Lion and Tweed. Good Friday night on the mighty Chenango, waiting for Ken Nordine. This is the references section of the podcast. This podcast was made with my friend and colleague, Peter DeCola. Pete is the piano player and the other voice on this podcast. He is a legal scholar and economist studying intellectual property. This episode was recorded in, in its entirety on April 22nd, 2011, in a piano classroom at Binghamton University. And I would like to thank Marcus Lally for affording us this opportunity, and thanks to Pam Walker for being so helpful. This episode was inspired in part by Ken Nordine's word jazz, which is why he's mentioned in the title of this episode. As Peter says, Yeah, word jazz. He comes on at midnights on Sunday. Uh-huh. Uh, and Ken Nordine's like 90 years old. He's been doing word jazz since the 50s. He does okay. this beat poetry stuff, uh-huh. you know? He's got this super ridiculously low voice. And my favorite one is, um, he's like, So one day, Yellow was sitting around, and there was some bad blood with Green. Seems that Green, you know how Green can be, didn't want Yellow in. One day, Yellow said, hey, Green, you know, I might just get together with Blue. If Yellow and Blue were to get together, not that they would, but if they did, a gentle threat, they could make their own Green. Then Green said, oh, you know, better get in line. In the beat and jazz spirit, this episode was improvised, both on piano and in storytelling. Pete encouraged me to try it, and I'm glad he did. All right, you start. Those, those chords are D, G, A, D, 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 Along with the episode you just heard, we recorded three songs which are available from the episode page, or if you've subscribed to the sister podcast of this one, The Lion and Dweed Music, you will download them automatically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, The first song is Verity Cries by uh, the 10,000 Maniacs. Mornings we all rise To all as Verdi cries Pete says, uh, it's a song from In My Tribe, which is perhaps the group's best album, and it's the first one that he'd heard. The song, which closes the album, is about opera and relationships with people you don't actually know. The second song is Born on a Train, from uh, the Magnetic Fields album, Charm of the Highway Strip. My first experience was 69 Love Songs. I think volume two, for some reason, I got volume two first. I'm not even sure where I found it. I guess in a, I'm not sure why I got volume two first. I mean, yeah. I got it at Wazoo Records, but I'm not entirely sure what, maybe I listened to it. Or maybe it was from a recommendation from you, perhaps even, I'm not even sure. Might have been. So yeah, the first record, I, I had Charm of the Highway Strip. It's funny, whoever did these lyrics on the internet, like, just got it wrong. <laughs> um, like, yeah, like, 
gray doesn't rhyme with anything. You have to rhyme morning with anything. You know, that's like Stephen Merritt 101. Anyway. <laughs> I'll have to go when the whistle blows. The whistle knows my name. Maybe I was born on a train. The final song we recorded was uh, Jenny from the album All Hail West, West Texas by the Mountain Goats. How much better, how much better can my life get? Uh, that is John Darnell. 900 cubic centimeters of raw whining power. No outs any warrants for my rest. He's one of my inspirations for the kind of music I do and the spirit with which I play it. Whoa, whoa. I switched, uh, I, that was that was deceptive there, I guess a little bit, wasn't it? Um, I switched there in the middle um, to John Darnell's uh, actual song from the album. Um, uh, so uh, so that was him at the end, I guess. That was, I, okay. Okay, so first I have some, first I have some, first I have some. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know that as an academic, I take citation of sources very seriously. I was curious about the norms and legal questions about citation in a sonic format. I had the privilege of asking Peter DeCola, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, Pete got his uh, PhD in economics at the University of Michigan, as did I. Um, he also got his JD there. And the question I asked was, as an academic, I'm a producer of intellectual property. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was thinking about, like, what are the norms in academia with regard to sampling? And it's pretty strong citation norm, right? Yep. So um, I can write something, but I have to say where it comes from. Most of this book is talking about these two possible right holders, the sampler and the samplee, say. Um, now, in the academic context, um, if I wrote a paper, say, and... Um, someone said, uh, you know, this idea that it, part of your paper has this idea that's from this other paper, but you didn't cite it. And I were to say, oh yeah, but the person who, who wrote that paper said it was okay not to give them credit. That would not be okay, right? <laughs> right? It's, not just, right. it's not just the right of attribution. Right. right? That, I mean, it's, they don't have it's the in, right. It's inalienable. It's an inalienable right, right of attribution. They don't have the right to give it away. Yeah. In yeah. academia. Um, right. and because there's some sense, and so I thought about it, so there's some sense in which the public has a right to know, or at least the academic community has a right to know where that idea comes from. So that's a third possible right holder here, like yeah. the right of the public to know where these music pieces come from. So I'm curious, what do you think about that? I mean, well, do you just, think there's an appropriate, do you think that has a role in this? It, well, it's very French of you to say that. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's how France and Germany's copyright law is constructed. They have inalienable, you know, inalienable meaning not like really important, inalienable in the literal sense, meaning you can't sell it, you're not allowed to sell it. Um, the um, and so you know there's this, they have a you know right of attribution a right of integrity uh, in France there's this thing called um, 
the joie de suite, which, is, which means you have a right as a visual artist to a chunk of any subsequent sales of your art. So like if you sell a painting for 50 bucks and then you become famous and yeah. then someone later sells it for 50,000, you get a percentage. Huh. And actually California has a law like that too um, for the benefit of visual artists. So anyway, these rights are these different, you know, these are the, about these different interests. And yeah, the attribution right is a little bit about the public <coughs> and the integrity right is a little bit about the public. People talk about uh, colorization of films. You know, the public didn't want to see It's a Wonderful Life colorized, didn't want to see, you know, the public might want the original works to be preserved. You know, that is just, so that those are interesting ideas. They are mostly foreign to U.S. law, which is just generally thought to be totally economically driven. Uh, interestingly, here in the U.S., one thing that uh, this organization called Creative Commons has done, so Creative Commons has these ready-made licenses that academics use. This book is under a Creative Commons license. Actually, you're free to quote from it or remix it or whatever. Um, and of course, that's in my interest. I want people to quote me. I, you know, right. um, creative, a lot of Creative Commons licenses require attribution. So actually, by contract, I'm asking everyone, and Kembrew and I are asking everyone who uses it, or we're requiring them to, if they want to adhere to the terms of the contract, um, to give us attribution. But we have to ask for that on top of copyright law. Like, we're using the property rights that copyright law gives us to ask for this extra moral, what, I, what copyright lawyers call moral rights, you know. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting idea. But it's a total contrast to how things work here. So the verse is just D, G, A. And then the chorus. And then the chorus is the same as that song we just did. It's G, A, D, G. Excellent. So, all right. And then I do, I do this little intro. All right. The title of this episode includes a reference to the Shenango River, which goes through the center of Binghamton and divides east from west Binghamton. The Susquehanna River flows through town east to west, separating downtown and the south side of Binghamton. The Shenango comes from Canada to the north to end in downtown Binghamton where it empties into the Susquehanna. I've seen the Susquehanna muddied by a storm while the Shenango was clear, and they maintained a wavy line of clean versus muddy water for a half mile down the Susquehanna. The most significant geographical features of the valley where Binghamton resides here are no doubt the rivers. They are why Binghamton was here. They were once the industrial highway of this place. At one time, State Street was a canal. Water was what it was about. And as the son of a Dane, I tend to orient myself to the nearest bodies of water. Peter says, though in Chicago there's orientation to the lake, it is always to the east, so none of this crossing over it business. And listener, I have another personal message to each of you. Each of you has chosen to listen to this podcast. I'm genu genuinely curious about what you think of it, and I'm sure Peter is as well. Please send me an email with any thoughts you have to thelionandtweed at gmail.com or thelionandtweed on Twitter or lionandtweed on Facebook. I promise if you send me a message, I'll say hello. Thank you all for listening. If you live in upstate New York, I will be playing a live music show this Friday, May 6th, at First Friday in downtown Binghamton. I will be playing from 6 till 9. Come for any part of that. I'll be playing on gorgeous Washington Street in front of the Orion Beauty and Balance, right next to Garland Gallery. 
Steve's going to be there too, I think. Hi, Steve. At least one audience member who expresses interest will have the opportunity to appear on the next episode of the podcast, which will include live recordings of the songs played at the event. Friday, May 6th, Gorgeous Washington Street, 118 South Washington Street, by the courtyard behind Java Joe's. Just walk straight through. If you come, introduce yourself. I don't bite. Um, okay, so, uh, um, so this, okay. Okay, so one of the things that I've been sampling here has been uh, this conversation, uh, podcast, I guess, of a conversation uh, with Pete DeCola and... Uh, Jennifer Stover Ackerman, assistant professor in the English department at Binghamton University. And... Daniel Henderson, associate professor of economics and longtime hip-hop fan. And... Osvaldo Oyola, PhD student in English, a DJ and Brooklynite. And... Andreas Pape, assistant professor of economics. Um, and uh, you can download that uh, at soundstudiesblog.com or if you go to the lion and tweed slash episode with a capital E episode slash three uh, there will also be a link there so I'd like to close this podcast with Pete's sound collage okay so first I have some first I have some first I have some uh, banter that was kind of like right before the songs. It was kind of like right before the songs. It was kind of like right before the songs. All right, you start. Those, those chords are D G A D A D. Those chords are D G A D A D. Those chords are D G A D A D. I'm sorry, just a second. Pick out the little melodies. Kawasaki. Pick out the little melodies. Kawasaki. Pick out the little melodies. Kawasaki. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Common law, at common law, theft required deprivation. In other words, if you had a bicycle and I took your bicycle, you were deprived of the bicycle. You couldn't use your bicycle. You have to take the bus in her song. Right. <laughs> I know the song. Right, right. Copy is right. not theft. If, if I take your bicycle, you have to take the bus. But if I just copy it, there's one, one for, for each, each of us. us. Right. <laughs>